Bienvenue, benvenuti, and welcome to Expatriotical, the podcast for expats, travelers, and other adventurous souls. I'm Chandra Ali, and after living as an expat with my husband and four children in two different countries for almost six years, I've learned the arts of pivoting during pitfalls, traveling tastefully for less, and soaking in amazing new cultures without losing your own. Join me as we dive into the joys and challenges of travel and the expat life in every episode. We have arrived, everyone. We are now at episode two of Expatriotical. For some of you, this may be your first episode, but if you started with me last week, I'm thinking, or at least hoping, that something sparked your interest or got your attention and you came back for more. And to me, that's a big deal and it is a privilege for me to have you here, so thank you. In this episode, we will have a Shan Select like we did last week where I share with you one of my favorite episodes, whether it be a restaurant, a museum, or what have you that I have encountered during my travels as an expat. I will also share a travel story today because similar to though not as raunchy or raucous as, is it raucous or ruckus as the movie The Hangover, when you are traveling, some of the hijinks that happen are almost unbelievable and honestly quite comical. Though the laughs for me usually come when I'm looking back and not in the moment. But to start with today, I wanted to try to tackle redefining a term that I was actually introduced to not too terribly long ago, a couple of years after I had already become an expat. I remember it pretty clearly. I was having tea with my dear friend Michelle and also with Isaiah and Caleb, my two youngest children, because they were not old enough for school yet and they went everywhere with me. Hopefully, that extra bit of knowledge helps to wipe the slate of the thinking that it was a prim and proper English tea to really help you paint the picture. It was more of a free-for-all with scalding hot drinks. Anyway, I'm not sure where our conversation had started, but at some point, I believe it must have turned to moving, whether it was all the moves that they had made or maybe one that they were about to make. But Michelle mentioned the term trailing spouse. And when she finished her sentence, I reluctantly asked, not because my question wouldn't be well received, but because I felt I should have already known the answer, but it was a safe space. So I said, what is that? A trailing spouse? I don't know what that means. And she said, that's what they call us, the partner who moves, but it's not for their job. I remember feeling an immediate surge of heat rise up within me going straight to my face. I couldn't believe it. How insulting. Trailing spouse, my foot. I was so much more than that. I was not just this puppy or reluctant child that my husband dragged behind him. I was and am a life builder. I was indignant. How dare those guys call me that? Because I automatically assumed it was some upper level VP of a corporation that needed a term for us. So he said, ah, uh, you know, the, the non-employee, the, the trailing spouse. I will now admit my grave error in assuming that it was a man that first coined this term. I'm so sorry, because I just looked it up And to my surprise and complete dismay, the person that is attributed to having said this first was a woman named Mary Bralov, Bralov, not sure how to pronounce that, who was quoted by the Wall Street Journal in 1981. Wow. 
apparently Mary knew nothing other than financial statistics of what it was to be a quote unquote trailing spouse. Because if she did, I can't imagine how in her right mind she would use such a demeaning term because we all know the non-employee spouse is so much and does so much more. We establish a life for our partner and our children, if we have them, everywhere we go. For me, that has looked like researching and visiting new schools for my children, finding new general practitioners, pediatricians, dentists for us, meaning Chris and I, and the kids, and orthodontists, specialty doctors, etc. I find the new markets to shop at, the new stores I can buy affordable clothes at, parks I can take the kids to, places we can have birthday parties at. At each new location, I strive to set up plenty of playdates for my kids as they come home and say they've met new friends so that I can better get to know the kids and their parents, making sure it's a safe and amicable situation for everyone involved. In Italy, I waited through automated phone calls in Italian to set up appointments with cardiologists and other health professionals. And everywhere we go, I am the chef, tutor, translator, transportation coordinator, on-call slash in-home nurse, social activities slash schedule coordinator, housekeeper, other than 10 months in Italy and for the last three weeks in Paris, thank you, Karen, purchaser of all things food and clothing related, mom, wife, friend, and daughter, and sister. All those things, still, all of those things. It is my understanding that everywhere we move, Chris's job is pretty much the same. He has new coworkers and new, and deals with new clients, but the role of his position is typically the same. That is not to diminish the fact that there are plenty of challenges, there's plenty of stress that comes with working with new cultures in new climates, climates under different conditions. Please do not think that I'm saying that a person whose job a family moves for has it easy. I'm not saying that at all, but I am saying that in most cases, if you were to take the quote unquote trailing spouse out of the equation and ask the employee to do all of those things for him or herself, I believe that a significant level of stress would be added to the employee, and especially if they were trying to do that with children, their job or their productivity on the job would be significantly affected. So I don't want to hear any of this trailing spouse nonsense, and I'm on a mission to redefine the term, or maybe I should say rename it entirely. I have thought of things like trailblazing spouse or chief coordination officer. That might be a bit much, but I continue to draw blank. One thing that does come to mind or keep coming to mind is something that my friend Aaron Lashmar, who is a brilliant teacher and gifted artist, said to me one time when we were talking about motherhood, motherhood or parenthood really in general. I was feeling pretty down and feeling overwhelmed with my responsibilities and apparent to me in effectiveness as a mom. And Erin said to me in her beautiful British accent, you know, what you do is the only irreplaceable thing. And it stuck with me so much that I stopped right there and wrote it down in the notes of my phone. Erin, if you're listening, I hope you are not offended by my accent, but I love your accent so much and wanted to try to capture some of it. But she's right. And I think that 
her sentiment can also be applied to what we do as the non-employee spouse. To hire out what we do would be, in my opinion, a nightmare. I can't imagine a nanny wanting to be woken up in the middle of the night by my four children when they are having bad dreams or aren't feeling well, and then having to get up still exhausted in the morning and cook them breakfast, prepare their lunches, and walk them to school, and then come back and start up, start all the cleaning, cleaning up and the laundry, grocery shopping, etc., before heading back to pick them up again from school a few short hours later. Don't get me wrong. This is my life, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying I don't think you can hire all of that out to one person. I don't think you could find someone qualified, and even if you did, it would cost you a fortune. What you are doing when you care for your partner, your family, it is irreplaceable. Trailing spouse simply doesn't cut it from any view. So what do you think? I'm not loving trailblazing spouse, even though that was an attempt to make a play on the original term, and chief coordination officer doesn't fully flesh it out. What about something like VIP, but instead of very important person, it could be CIP, completely irreplaceable partner. What do you think? I'm still working on it, and I had honestly hoped to have it nailed down by the time I recorded this episode, but maybe that's okay. Maybe what I need, what I really need, and what we really need is to work together, not only on a name, but also on building each other up, reminding each other that this is a hard job and it takes someone special like you to be able to do it. So I'm asking for help. If you have an idea for a replacement term, I'd love to hear it. You can DM me at expatriotical on Instagram and share your idea with me. While you're there, if you would like to follow me, that would be amazing. For now, though, I think I like the title of being the CIP, completely irreplaceable partner of the family. Let's see if that catches on. Okay, now for a fun travel story. I actually hadn't thought of it in quite a while, but it happened almost exactly five years ago. My mom had come to visit us for the first time in Italy in February of 2019, and she had said that she had always wanted to see Rome. So she and Caleb and I, Caleb was three months old at the time, rode a bullet train from Milan to Rome for a long weekend trip while Chris stayed with the other three kids at home. This was also my first trip to Rome because we had still only lived in Italy for less than six months at this point. We arrived in Rome at Roma Termini, which is the main train station, in the afternoon on Friday and took a taxi to our hotel, the Le Meridian Visconti. An important piece of information to add now is that my mom had recently found out that she had type 2 diabetes and was struggling a bit with learning the balance of how to regulate her food intake slash blood sugar levels with her energy output, output, which she now has completely mastered. In other words, she would get exhausted quite easily. She was also dealing with chronic pain in both of her knees, and walking was no longer her strong suit. The problem was she was not yet used to these limitations, because when I was a a teenager, for example, though she is two inches shorter than me and almost a foot shorter than my brother, sorry for not using the metric system, all of my non-American listeners, that's about five centimeters for me and 30 centimeters for my, my brother. She could, even though being shorter than us, 
pace the two of us, outpace the two of us when walking, no problem. Hands down, beat us every time. So I had planned to only do one major thing each day, and she assured me that she would be able to do the walking as long as it was at a reasonable pace. The first night, we ate at an amazing restaurant, and unfortunately, I don't remember the name of it, but I am almost positive that it is located on Via del Seminario, and that's between the Pantheon and Trevi Fountain. After we had dinner, we walked by Trevi Fountain, which is a a standout memory to me as it was lit up at night with the majestic Greek god Oceanus and his horses rising up out of the stone above the glow of these beautiful turquoise blue waters. It was absolutely mesmerizing. Then we walked by the Pantheon and that was our night. All was well. The next day, we planned to do a three-hour tour, which said it had a scheduled break of the Vatican. I was really looking forward to this because I had specifically always admired Michelangelo and wanted to see the, the Sistine Chapel. We took another taxi to the meeting point, and when our tour commenced, we began walking up a hill just to get to the entrance of the Vatican. Seeing my mom making her way up Um, I started to worry. She assured me she would be okay since she would be inside though and there wouldn't be hills in the buildings. Hills there are not, but stairs there are. Apparently lots of them, which for, for those of us that don't suffer from mobility issues, we don't really notice them, nor the lack of places to sit down. If Caleb had been in a stroller, I would have definitely noticed, but I was wearing him in a baby carrier. These two things, the lack of stairs and lack of places to sit, became very evident to my mom as we worked our way through the seemingly endless halls of precious paintings and tapestries and sculptures. We were arriving at the two-hour point when our tour guide said that here we would take a 15-minute break, people could use the bathrooms, and also use this time to see Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. Seeing the color drain from my mom's face, I knew she needed to rest, and thankfully, she found a chair near the restrooms where she proceeded to sit, eyes closed, not moving a muscle. I, on the other hand, had been feeling a growing warmth between Caleb and myself, and I felt like his diaper may have leaked a bit. When I got into that small bathroom stall, I discovered that it was not a leak I was dealing with, it was a poop catastrophe a phrase lovingly coined by my dear friend Tasha many years before. Let's just say it was everywhere, and I was so thankful I had packed not only another change of clothes for Caleb, but an extra shirt for myself as well. Fifteen minutes and an entire container of baby wipes later, I washed my hands and headed out to get my mom, and I heard on my tour headset our lovely Italian guide saying, "'Okay, we're ready to go. Has anyone seen the lady with the baby?' So I proceeded to make my way, mom in tow, through the extremely crowded Sistine Chapel as quickly as I could so that we would not be left by the group. I stared up the whole time at the ceiling trying to capture the exquisite work in my memory in like 30 brief seconds. I'm not going to lie and say I wasn't disappointed, but such is life. The life of a mom, the life of a daughter, living as an expat, trying to show her mom something she would see only once in a lifetime. Thankfully, by the summer of 2020, my husband had not yet seen the Vatican, so since we couldn't travel to the U.S. that year, 
we did a tour of Italy, which included Rome. And I got to see that spectacular room, which had been painted by a genius on a wooden scaffolding using only candlelight for 15 uninterrupted minutes. And due to COVID, I had it almost entirely to myself. This also is the life of an expat. Blessings and burdens all rolled into one beautiful, crazy life. Okay, so that's the end of my story. Now it's time for this episode's Shan Select. To be totally transparent, I feel like there are so many wonderful things that I could mention, so I was struggling to choose one. So I enlisted the help of my daughter, Lilia, for a top recommendation of something she loved doing or seeing when we lived in Italy. It took her a minute to think about it. And the first thing that popped into her mind was Ristorante Borgo di Vione, uh, which I already mentioned in last week's episode. So you can go back and listen to that if you haven't already um, to understand more of its wonderfulness. So I asked Lilia to think again, and she said the aquarium in Genova or Genoa for most, most English speakers. She said she chose it because of the amazing photos we still have from our first time there. And she is right. The photos really actually did capture the beauty of it. It is one of the best aquariums I have ever been to. From walking under the shark tank and watching the dolphins play and chatter with each other up close and in person to petting stingrays and observing the entire life cycle of a jellyfish. The aquarium of Genoa is Genoa, excuse me, is a world of amazement for all ages and I highly recommend visiting it. All right, guys, I think that wraps up our time this episode. But before we part, I want to share a fun quote from an extremely well-known expat, Mrs. Julia Child. The quote itself is not super inspiring. It's just one of my personal favorites, but her story is inspiring. As a six foot two inch tall American woman in Paris, Julia Child stood out from the crowd. No pun intended, but truly, as I walk through Paris, though I'm not as tall as she was, if Parisians hear my American accent, it definitely turns heads at times. Julia moved to Paris for her husband, Paul's job. She spoke no French, so she quickly got to work learning the language by taking classes six hours a day. She also tried to adapt by taking cooking lessons and graduated from the famous Le Cordon Bleu Culinary School. And she even started a small business teaching American women how to cook French cuisine. She was known for her jovial attitude, her persistence, and her love of life and food. To me, she seems like she was a pretty lighthearted person. And I think that in life in general, and especially as an expat, you need to keep that in mind to be lighthearted because things can just naturally get heavy. So cheers to Julia and one of my favorite quotes from her, which is, I enjoy cooking with wine. Sometimes I even put it in the food. Thank you, everyone. That's a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, would you please share it with someone you think might like it as well or would benefit from it? And one more thing, if you haven't already done so, if you would take the time to hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app and to rate and review Expatriotical, that would be amazing. It helps more people find us here and I would just so greatly appreciate it. Also, I am really looking forward to your DMs on Instagram with the new names that you're going to come up with to replace the dreaded trailing spouse term. 
I know they are going to be great and I'm super excited. Thank you all for letting me join you on your journey today. I'll meet you here next week with another new episode. But until then, this is Chandra Alley reminding you to live and travel in the know with Expatriotical.